Welcome to the Wits and Weights Podcast for busy professionals who want to get strong and healthy with strength training and sustainable diet. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and in each episode, we'll examine strategies to help you achieve physical self-mastery through a healthy skepticism of the fitness industry and a commitment to consistent lifting and nutrition. Welcome to another episode of Wits and Weights. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Louise Valentine to talk about how to achieve sustainable fitness goals by doing less rather than more, how to work with our physiology and not against it, how to optimize health for women 35 and older, and actionable tips you can start applying right away to unlock your best health despite age, a busy life, or obstacles. Louise is a physiologist, best-selling author, avid runner, and military spouse. She was named number one health specialist in the U.S., has worked for the NFL, and published research on how to solve the root cause of health and fitness problems. She's now CEO of BreakingThroughWellness.com, where she offers one-on-one coaching, courses, and the groundbreaking Badass Breakthrough Academy for women runners and fitness lovers age 35 and beyond. Louise, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so am I. So to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about your background as it relates to your diagnoses, your health diagnoses, and then what you call turning breakdowns into breakthroughs? Yeah, you know, at a young age, I was, I got this message that I wasn't built to be a runner. I had such a strong genetic history of all these health diagnoses that that would ultimately be my faith, my fate. And you know, this motivated a very young age. I, I was really interested in health and fitness. I got multiple degrees in, in exercise science, physiology, and I wanted to arm myself with these tools and strategies so that that wouldn't be the case, that I would be healthy and resilient. And and I, I had this motivation. I like I, I tell the story of turning the treadmill up to like a 10% grade and, you know, power walking in the sixth grade saying, that won't be my story. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, ultimately I did end up getting some health diagnoses. I did struggle with um, compromised immune system, infertility, uh, hormonal issues, and ultimately did get diagnoses of both osteoporosis and a stomach precancer in my 30s. So I did have those moments where even having knowledge and and tools and degrees, I, I still felt like it was a breakdown moment. And I stand here as living proof, though, that despite what doctors say, they told me it was impossible to reverse things, um, despite what I was told in my youth, that I, I was able to turn those breakdowns into breakthroughs and reverse what I was told would be chronic conditions. So, I mean, in your 30s, you got all of these, these uh, this, this is bad news, I guess, uh, un, you know, surprised at that age, especially things like osteoporosis. Um, you know, h- how did it make you feel? I mean, what, where did it take you at that point? Yeah, it was incredible darkness. Um, you know, I kind of described to those that I work with now that, you know, we can shift our perspective that health and performance is fluid. It's always dynamic. It's going to have moments that are hard. It's just knowing to, what to do and what to say to ourselves when it gets hard that matters. So now that I've been there in those dark moments, I do have a lot of different tools and strategies to help others work through these moments. But um, it yeah, it's okay to sit there for a moment and just kind of to feel it though. And it is ugly and to be mad and frustrated and, and let that ugly out too. So it's not, it's, it was your crucible moment. I mean, it sounds like, are you thankful that that happened in hindsight? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I, and you know, I even say like the struggles of being a military spouse, the struggles in my health challenge, I believe I was given them for a purpose so that I would see how strong you can be despite these crazy obstacles so that I can, my struggle can be someone's inspiration ultimately. That that's amazing. And I'm, I'm assuming this has led to a lot of the things that you accomplished later on. And we talked about in the intro, um, one of those is publishing research. Um, we're big into science and talking about evidence on this podcast. And you talk about solving the root cause of health and fitness problems. So can you just share, expound on that a bit on the research and what you discovered? Yeah. So I did look at a lot of things like childhood obesity, um, looking at women's health issues in my master's program, uh, sedentary and things like that in our health and longevity. But ultimately, my research fellowship was with the U.S. Army. So I was able to look at um, health outcomes all the way from chronic disease to mental health, look at the impact of physical activity, sleep, nutrition on our well-being, on our health. And the military is always a wonderful population to study because their circumstances are fairly controlled. They do a lot of the same exercises. They may be in the same type of an environment in the field. Um, They might be getting the same meals in their practice prepackaged meals. So a lot of times we learn a lot about the human body and human performance um, by studying the military. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the validity of a study is often dependent on the sample and who's involved and how consistent it is. But so I want to dig a little deeper on that. Um, The root cause, like I want to know the secret, right? What is the root (laughs) cause of health and fitness problems? I'm just curious. Yeah. So it was looking more so at the fact that it is always individual. We would look at the different troops and different troops would have different problems. Like for some, obesity was their challenge. For some, it was uh, mental health outcomes. For others, it was injury. So yeah, we looked at different impacts of um, in the individual troops that each one would have a different health outcome that was their you know problem point. So it was then looking at targeted inter- interventions for those specific priority issues, because you can sit there, you're going to try and have programs for everything, but it's really defining that number one trouble point and starting there and aligning those resources accordingly. So rather than trying to do everything at once, which I see a lot with those Mm -hmm. that I work with in their health and fitness, it's having that, okay, what is your priority goal and how can we be most effective in moving the needle to achieve that goal? not everything all at once. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I love that approach. And I know you're a one-on-one coach just like I am. And you probably, every single client that comes in has their unique big rock or big priority that they struggle with. And the next client is perfectly skillful in that area and has something else. Right. Yes. Um, so did you, did you find common themes like, um, things like biofeed specific types of biofeedback that you could bucketize or categorize across anybody? Well, I think we looked at like the foundation of health. If you don't have health, you will not perform. Mm -hmm. So looking at things like mental health and then also sleep. So having like that absolute foundation without certain things, you will not be able to improve your fitness. You will not be energized to perform at your best, whether it's your career, whether it's the military. So what is a health foundation and do you have it in place? Okay, sleep. You you hit a trigger with me. <laughs> uh, sleep sleep is a challenge for a lot of people. I agree. Whether it's quantity, quality, and I know a lot of my listeners are busy professionals. They have families. They have career obligations. Um, 
And this idea of, I know you mentioned doing less, you know, doing less, not more, I think resonates with people who are overwhelmed and things like sleep come into the equation. So tell me a little bit about that concept of less versus more and how it plays into sustainable success. Yeah, I think it's really important to look at the, your priority goals in your health and fitness and then start to inventory the different things that you're doing. And we, it's so easy with the noise out there to want to buy like the greatest supplement solution. I see that, you know, all the time. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like a backpack. Your game plan, your game plan is a backpack and you're just stuffing so many things in it to try and gain the edge, losing the sight of the things that could actually move the needle and just like taking Mm -hmm. that focused action and you'd be leaps and bounds ahead. So I'll use the example of, I've trained a lot of runners And something I might see with a busy mom who's trying to run her best, she has career goals, she's got kids in soccer, she's running around like a crazy person. So with that stress, she thinks, okay, yoga is good for runners. So I'm going to make sure that I do yoga and I'm going to add that into marathon training on top of this crazy season of life. And so I'll stop and I'll say, okay, so are you driving to your yoga class? Yes, she's driving to it. It's an hour. Well, why are you doing yoga? Well, I'm doing yoga because I have, um, you know, this, this injury. I just want to make sure I just want to prevent injury in my running. I'd be like, what if I told you, unless you're using that yoga for like mental health and you absolutely love it, we could give you like two targeted strength exercises that you could do at home. Do at home. Yeah. (laughs) And it would be more effective and target your problem area. And we can maybe remove yoga until after marathon training because it takes so much time and energy. Yeah, to which run is an in extra the first place. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. Um, with with prioritization, uh, you see that all the time. You mentioned supplements, right? Uh, the pyramid of nutrition where people just need to focus maybe on protein and they get in the weeds uh, with, you know, it whatever it might be, clean eating or something else. Um, so regarding sleep. So if we dig in a little bit more about sleep, I how big of a problem is that for people? How or how many people does that affect that you encounter? And what would you say are some effective strategies for that? Yeah, I'll see a lot of women that struggle a lot with sleep. Um, and even like I remember I had a male triathlete who was struggling with it as well. There's different strategies. And actually, where I actually pull it for some of the research with the US military, this concept of sleep banking. So okay. if they have an event coming up, the US military, they will add just a little bit more sleep to encourage the soldier or in the specific study, getting extra hours of sleep. And if you do that, just a few, say it's like 10 or 10 minutes of sleep, 10 minutes of sleep, five days a week leading up to the event, you're still banking sleep prior to that event. So what I like to do is I like to encourage those that I work with to look to these events that they have. Is it a high stress work week? Can we sleep bank? Is it a, an event like a marathon where you know you're going to get up at 3 a.m. to make a bus to get to the start line by 5? Let's sleep bank. Um, and then, of course, looking at different things that influence sleep, like caffeine. Cutting caffeine off is huge. At, at by like noon, can we just cut it off yeah. by noon maybe? <laughs> Long half-life there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that idea of sleep banking. And that's, that's adding 10 minutes each day leading up to the event. Yeah, and, and if they have okay. more time, of course. Let's yeah, do 20 sure. minutes. Um but typically we're not hitting that like eight to nine hour optimal sleep range for some ultra endurance athletes. We're looking at 10 hours as recommendations, but if we drop below six, that's the cut point where you're seeing compromised immunity, 
five times more likely to get injury. I think is the statistic there. It's just insane what that does to our physiology. So the sleep banking is kind of like carb loading, which these athletes I imagine have to do as well. Um, so, so you're saying get more Tom Brady level of sleep and uh, yeah. less of, yeah, uh, three shift worker level of sleep. Um, so I guess related to that then, so we talked about um, people working from home, talked about sleep. Uh, people are sitting around all day too. Like I've heard the phrase sitting is the new smoking and you're working all these hours. I mean, I'm working from home. We get burned out by stress. We, we have a tendency to uh, even do more in that case because we're not taking the chance to get in a car and go to uh, our workplace. Um, do you have any actionable tips for those challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think the, one of the best things we can do is like sit on a, a ball uh, that will just activate our core all day. And I'll tell you, I've even seen the, the difference in my own core from when we moved here to Delaware, I would sit on the couch and work. Cause it was so comfortable. It's big, beautiful window. I could look out at, I was like, I love it here. Well, I stopped sitting on my ball chair and I saw fat accumulate on my stomach. And I was like, well, that's okay. So that's just me. But if we're looking at bigger pictures, like having this ball works your core. But if you don't like that idea, a sit stand desk, alternate between the two. And I think the biggest game changer that I've seen in the research is just moving at least two minutes after you eat, whether it's a snack, whether it's a meal. I like that. Okay. And you're on the ball right now. I am. As you can tell, I'm like, I'm okay, yeah. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, yeah. What about standing all all day? Because I have a treadmill desk and I tend to not sit. Is that a problem? So the if you don't have back issues as as a uh, byproduct of that, I do see a lot of people that stand too much. And for example, my husband is an ultra runner, and he was standing because he was like, "Yes, I'm tough. I'm going to stand all day." And he ended up having some back pain. I said, "Why don't you try alternating between the two? And I think you'll be." you'll be much better off. So that's a good tip. All right. Everybody listen to that alternate, get a ball and, uh, and you'll, you'll be better off. Um, so this is, this is working with your body, working with your physiology and how we are designed in our biomechanics. Um, and you, you mentioned that, right. Working within your physiology. So what, what do you mean by that exactly? What are some tips to do that? You know, there are just over the years, so many simple ways to work with our body and not against it. And I have some, you know, different strategies and hacks that I teach those that I work with, but sometimes it's, it seems so simple. And so it can create so much ease in our life Mm -hmm. and body from this state of cortisol, go, 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 which is like fat storage. It's almost impossible sometimes to build muscle, to lose body fat. And when we're just trying so hard, you know, especially working with runners and those who are really into health and fitness, sometimes we really have to just have those moments where we can chill out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So recognizing the state of stress and then having the strategies in place, whether it is sleep, whether you're struggling with um, just anxiety uh, in these stressful moments and really high stress job. So one example strategy that I use is um, just to call it shifting your mind. And you just take one deep breath, think of one thing you're grateful for, and then think of how you want to show up in the world today. So it's, I am And you think for a lot of times I'll like start my day like that. And I'll just say, I am joy filled as I make breakfast for my kids. And then I go and I'm, I am that person, right? I just step into that, that joy. And I I think about what I'm grateful for. And it's amazing what gratitude can do in terms of hormones and just shifting that high stress state. So I just have individuals work with that strategy. Just one breath. You don't have to do some crazy long meditation, just one breath. If you feel like things are, you know, 
the train's going off the tracks at work, one breath. Think of one thing you're grateful for. Shift really yourself. Like yeah, I like that a lot. Po- positive visualization, but you know, people who listen to me know I'm I'm very direct. I'm not I'm not into a lot of spiritual things, but I do appreciate the link between the mind and body and what you're talking about. Um, if I'm going to go do a speech, you know, in front of a big audience, for example, thinking that it's going to go well seems to relieve the stress and get you prepared for the moment. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, when do you, do you advise people journal or how, how would people identify these moments? Because I could see some people doing this just all day because the stress is always there. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I say what we do and what we say to ourselves when it gets hard matters. And this exercise of, of defining what your heart is, what is hard in your life right now? Is it a relationship struggle? Is it, um, you lost your job? Is it, you know, during the pandemic, it was the pandemic, the stress mm-hmm. of the pandemic, the unknown. Um, is it a health challenge? Is it you're struggling with weight gain and you don't know why? You know, it's just, Excellent. it's so, so individual, but what is your heart and starting to identify like what's triggering it and Got it. Yeah. And, and looking back in your week, perhaps, and saying <laughs> this was the thing that, that came up the most that caused the stress. And maybe I should focus on some of these, uh, these practices um, for myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It really yeah. shifts where we start to intervene in our health and fitness, right? A lot of times we're like, okay, supplements, we're looking at the latest mm-hmm. and greatest fitness. When if we just kind of went upstream a little bit and looked at like mm-hmm. the stress, we could simplify things just a little bit. <laughs> But Louise, isn't there a supplement you can take for stress? <laughs> oh, there's like 50 of them. It's just, I'm sure there oh are. Goodness. The biggest pain points have the most supplements, <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So the, I guess that leads to a, a corollary to that, which is people do try to maybe do too much or focus on the wrong things and fall into different pitfalls, different traps along the way. Um, we already covered some of them, like taking on too much, putting your filling up your backpack with things that don't matter. So what are some of the mistakes you've seen clients make? And I'm really intrigued to know about some of the like professional athletes you've worked with, maybe the NFL, really interested in hearing about that. Yeah. So they, I think they're the worst culprits of yeah. doing everything they possibly can to get that cutting edge. So I think that's where I started to realize that there was there are so many different solutions for everything. And I would have athletes that were, you know, sleep barrack chambers. They were getting cryotherapy. They had a personal stretch person. I would work with them for massage therapy. They had performance coaches, nutritionists. It was just so much. And so I take a step back and kind of observe and see, okay, so what are they doing? And what does the science say? And so it was really interesting to start to see like, okay, so what are the minimum, what is the minimum effort needed to achieve that maximum result? And that's kind of the lens that I try and encourage those that I work with to start to think about, um, you know, for example, if you're looking for energy boosts of cryotherapy, well, did you know that you can just spray cold water on your forehead and chest in your shower to get that same mitochondrial die off <laughs> that you're looking for in cryotherapy, mm-hmm. that energy boost, um, you know, it's just sort starting to look at some of these things we're investing in and spending a lot of time on, um, it's really interesting. There's a lot of different ways. Like I say, that you can just work with the physiology of your body once we understand what it is. Yeah. And I think that awareness is maybe a, a big first step a lot of people haven't taken yet at, before you even get into application. And and what you what you hit on there is the minimum minimum effective dose. I don't know if it's a phrase. Yes, phrase we yeah. use that again, co- consistent with the theme earlier you mentioned of priorities of you've got all these things, but 
nine out of 10 of them aren't going to get you <laughs> very far. So you focus on the 10th or vice versa. Um, yeah. yeah. I could use an example too of, of an sure. NFL player that came to me who was looking for just general overall health. He was taking hard hits on the field and, and we started him on bone broth, uh, just a great whole food source of collagen, all sorts of nutrition, amino acids. So then he keeps coming to me with all of these different things. Like my friend says, I should take this. My friend said, I should take this. Is this good? Should I take this? So he want, one of them was a collagen powder. So I explained to him the benefits of collagen are in this whole food source of bone broth that you're already taking daily Mm -hmm. on top of an adequate protein diet. Do I think this supplement that your friend thinks is great is necessary? No. So it's just like the education Mm -hmm. piece of, again, we're just we're duplicating effort in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I just listened to a podcast. They talked about some supplement that shuttles more carbs to your muscles or something. And, and it was like a 0.0001% increase versus just (laughs) taking, you know, eating enough carbs. Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) I know. You hear that stuff all the time. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you have a lot of other interesting stories regarding, regarding athletes. What, what did you do in the, with, with the NFL population? So I was primarily sports medical massage therapy. This was years ago. Um, I was working on my strength and conditioning specialist certification at the time. I worked with the sports med staff on that, on the team with the sports med docs and in the training room with their strength and conditioning staff. So it was more of looking at the the overall total athlete health and how, and I was specifically more on like the injury um, treatment and prevention side. Okay. And, and now I, I would say you, you probably work a lot with women, right? Women, mm-hmm. you said particularly 35 and over, um, wiser women, 35 and over, and they have to consider um, their health and fitness. And there's some unique considerations for, for them. So maybe let's, let's dig into a little bit on that. Yeah. This need for vibrant health and um, health energy and hormonal health in particular. Um, a lot of us are you know, maybe in our twenties, we could skimp on sleep. Maybe in our twenties, we could run a super hard marathon training plan and we didn't feel repercussions, but now we have to be really strategic about what we're eating, when we're eating it, ensuring our hormonal health is in place first and foremost, we're not draining it. And just ensuring that we do, we have to be more strategic and women over 35, our hormones really start to shift. Our body takes longer to recover and and there's a lot of different things we need to do. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna ask exactly why. So people so people understand why these things happen and at what ages, right? Because when you say 35, to me, that's still uh pre, pre still menopausal. It's not postmenopausal yet, which then other things occur. Um, yeah. Is it is it primarily down to hormones and are there specifics about that people should be aware of? Yeah, I think the biggest one and the misunderstanding that I've seen um, with the latest research coming out is just around carbs and how essential they are for female hormonal health, and then not training fasted. Um, We Mm. do need carbs, but we have to be strategic with them because yes, our body does not process them as easily, but just eating them around breakfast, around training, around lunch is really key times when we actually need those carbs to build hormones. And without it, we start to cortisol. We build cortisol instead. We store fat. Mm. It's super frustrating. You could eat barely nothing and you're still probably going to gain belly fat. It's just insane what it does to the hormones. So we need to ensure that that foundation's in place and not training fasted because again, it's going to do the same thing. Cortisol is just going to spike and it steals from the hormones that, oh, hey, by the way, we're losing as a byproduct of perimenopause too. So 
Yeah, that those are all great insights. I want to dig in on some of those because they're very interesting. One one having to do with meal timing with carbs and the other with cortisol. So maybe starting with cortisol, we know there's a, a timing window between cortisol, melatonin, serotonin, all these things. Uh, maybe just simplify, break it down and, and, and help us understand why carbs are important uh, in terms of fasted training and cortisol. Yeah, because when we're when we go into a uh, training session fasted, especially in the morning, there uh, our cortisol is going to spike, and in order for our body to make that cortisol, my understanding is that it's going to steal from our you know our progesterones and our estrogens, mm-hmm. and that's those we actually need to have energy and vibrant well being, and we need those to recover and just you know, most of our major, um, energy cycles and ability to, to achieve our health and fitness and performance goals, we need our hormones. So with that, we definitely want to avoid the fasted training. And that's a really hard shift for a lot of women that I work with, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of, um, that fasting is the answer. And Mm -hmm. in certain circumstances, it is like when I had my stomach pre-cancer, you better bet I fasted because I was mm-hmm. going to starve those cancer cells. That's mm-hmm. part of changing, shifting that terrain in my body to be anti-cancer. So there was a time and a place for it. Um, for those that have like neuro neurological issues, yes, fasting has a place. Um, maybe every once in a while you do something like a, you have a favorite detox with your functional medicine doctor. Okay, there might be a place for it. But to go into your training fasted every single day, I try to like meet people where they're at, but once they change this, or they, even if it's just getting like aminos or a little bit of applesauce, half a banana, it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. anything big, get something into your body, shift that biochemical pathway from that state of stress to one that can, hey, support your health and performance, it's a game changer. I really like that because we, we talk a lot about blood blood glucose control, blood sugar control, and just glycolytic energy from carbs. And you're touching on the hormonal implication and the stressor related to cortisol and carbs. And it sounds like it's mainly for morning training, because if you're training later in the day, you've probably eaten something before that point. Would you say that a large, fairly high carb dinner somewhat uh, compensates for that, even if you didn't eat in the morning or not? I wouldn't know. And especially for women too, I mean, just getting a source of protein in the evening to enhance that repair and recovery sometimes is very beneficial depending on their training volume. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're a marathon runner and they're going into a long run, absolutely get some great nutrient dense carbs. The quality of your carbs matters. Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise I tend to encourage just a slightly, typically based on the average person's dinner, which is a lot of like pasta, Yes. It's just looking at adding those veggies, adding some really great sources of protein and fat. And yes, you can have some carbs, but it's just not the heart of your meal, your meal at that point. Sure. Okay. And then, and then the, the banana in the morning or something, I'm all for that. I, I, I do a banana and protein shake before my training in the morning as well. I get it. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you find it valuable, you would be doing me a huge favor by sharing it on social media. Just take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram story or Facebook. Please tag me so I can personally thank you and we can talk about what you found helpful and how I can improve. Again, an incredible thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. And then what was the other thing that the timing throughout the day for carbs? Uh, you, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Can you go into that? Yeah. So having good carbs post-workout 
um, for women who are, are 35 and over looking at like a uh, one-to-one or two-to-one ratio carbs to protein um, is great. Three-to-one starts to get a little tricky. We see some insulin impact there, some energy that is going to possibly um, crash based on a really high carb meal because, you know, looking at that athlete or that fitness lover's, um, you know, intra and pre-workout meals, we might want to see up to 40 grams of carbs in that mm-hmm. post-workout meal, or I'm sorry, 40 grams of protein. So that protein is the heart of that meal, mm-hmm. pairing it with, with your carbs, of course. So like I said, it's going to be their <clears throat> two to one or one to one ratio. One. Yeah. Yeah. But, Three to one is, yeah. it gets hard. Maybe if you ultra marathon or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you're like two hour training <laughs> sessions, CrossFit or something, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. No, I, I, I could dig into this stuff all day. Um, I tend to get in the weeds on this, but it's, it's very interesting. I like, I like for people to hear these things because I think there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of conventional wisdom around what and when you should eat. Right. Um, yeah. And it's so yeah. individual. Let me just yeah. say that. True. I, I had to do like a whole training module in my badass breakthrough Academy on like how we, like, what are your health goals? Do you have health challenges? What's your energy? Like, do you have underlying conditions? Do you have how long you're training for, you know, what type of training are you doing? It all matters. So yes. just using that lens and those blinders, put the blinders on listeners where you can and focus on you, your goals you. and what your body's needs. Yes, for sure. And feel free to experiment, right? Nothing set mm-hmm. in stone. Try something for a week. Try something, you know, for a few weeks and switch it up. Um, very cool. So, so we talked about women. I, the one other thing comes to mind. I was thinking of, of a client who is postmenopause and dealing with the weight gain that sometimes comes from that. Just, just indiscriminate, quote unquote, unexplainable weight gain. Right? We we all think we we know what the science says about why you gain and lose weight, but then there's all these other factors that women face with hormones. Um, and then it seems to present as visceral or abdom- abdominal fat as well. What, what do we know about that? And is there anything we can, what do we have to change at that point um, to deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. So that would definitely, I'd be looking to see like carbohydrate timing. Um, I would be looking to ensure she's getting enough protein. Uh, I would look to alcohol use um, just because alcohol could, really seems to push out that abdominal right. fat yeah. Yeah. Um, and different strategies. If you are, because of course I, I enjoy alcohol. So I just yeah, encourage sure. the different hacks to help to like prevent that Limit know, super, it, yeah. super acidic uh, shift in your body. Um, and then I would also look to if she was, if she had like a good quality multivitamin, because believe it or not, for there's a couple foundational supplements that I find are just game changers for especially this age group of women, um, myself included, is just a really high quality multivitamin. Okay. And the reason why being that when we have that blanket of really high quality nutrition, it can cover the gaps, right? Potentially, we don't have to worry about all the complicated lab testing. Of course, that's beneficial mm-hmm. too. But if we don't have access to that, sometimes just you know making sure you're getting really great methylated B12 making sure you have a really high quality magnesium, um, you're getting enough vitamin D. And then the other one is a high quality omega. And those two, you'd be amazed. I've had menopausal women that have had that stubborn five pounds and they're just like, oh my gosh, it's gone. And I'm like, oh, we, yeah. well, we changed a couple it's, things. It's the fish oil pills, you know, <laughs> yeah. really, seriously, or the magnesium, you're right. Yeah, it's just like something is deficient. Very important so supplements, those, yeah. Those that biological pathway to burn that fat and to see the gains of your fitness, it just couldn't run. It just right. needed some sort of 
precursor, which we just, we don't know what it was, but maybe it was magnesium. Maybe it was vitamin D. Yeah. I I like that thought of kind of, if you think of all your vitamins filling up little buckets and then a a few of them are empty and you're, you're just kind of passing water over the entire thing and hoping to fill up the right buckets. Um, yeah. So what what was I going to mention about magnesium, magnesium, fish oil, um, and multivitamins, what you mentioned. What about, uh, and then you said B12, creatine. What do you think of creatine? So honestly, it's one of the best studied supplements of all time. And I've personally used it. Um, I, if an individual wants to try it, there's a time and a place sometimes. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is one of them that is the most research backed. So from like a sports scientist perspective, yeah. Cool. If you want to try it. Good for performance. Okay. So speak, I want to get into a little bit more of, uh, about body composition, right? Cause we had a little uh, conversation by email about running and you're big into running. I want to get into that topic with you. Um, I used to love running and kind of stopped altogether at some point. Don't do it much anymore, but I, I get why a lot of people love doing it both for enjoyment and for competition and other reasons. Uh, and I even just worked with a, a person training for a half marathon. So, um, some people would say then that, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm against cardio, right? I'm against <laughs> cardio because, uh, we focus a lot on strength, lifting muscle mass, and there's the whole interference effect with cardio, but I don't believe, I think it's a little bit overblown. Um, I think if you enjoy it and keep the volume, uh, reasonable, you can make it all work, but I want to hear your take on that. Cause I know you're a competitive runner and you know, you did that after the, the health diagnosis. Um, I know you work with others and empower them to do that. So tell me about your love for running. Tell me about the benefits, everything about running. Oh, so you definitely hit a nail on the head though. Running, <laughs> especially at this women of over 35 population, my goodness, it is the one of the worst forms of exercises for <laughs> our bodies. There you and go. I'll let you say it. <laughs> the, no, it really is. And the reason why is because it is stress. Stress is stress, whether it's fit, whether it's exercise, the good stress or the bad stress of, you know, a high stress work week life, but there is a stress tipping point. And when we are go, go, go all the time and we add just, you know, six days of running on top of it, it is so much for our body. And, you know, I saw a lot of health consequences from, you know, the fact, yes, I had underlying conditions, but then I was running so much too. So the more I dug into it, the more I shifted to the simple less is more type of training it has, it was a big game changer for my health, for my hormones, like everything started to reverse. And, and so it is a little hard for those who want to train very religiously six days a week. But if we add just some little bit of strength training in there, they're injury free, they're energized, they Mm -hmm. have muscles that they love. And you know what, they're stronger runners, and they're not tired all the time. And it's just, there is a place, there is a place for running, of course, I love it. But Sometimes for my body, I know ultra marathons, eh, not so great anymore. I tend to shy away from the marathon even anymore, uh, maybe one a year. And and for other women, it's just sort of looking at their physiology. Where are they at in their stress in their life and their age too? So uh, tell, us, tell us about that experience with a woman who's been into running runs every day. And you're so, you're so correct. I think it might've started in the seventies. If you look at the history of exercise and running all of a sudden there there was one pivotal book. I don't remember the title, um, the running revolution or something like that. And it set off everything that along with the Nautilus machines that you see at planet (laughs) Fitness, um, for the modern gym and the modern culture. 
somebody who runs a lot and then you get them to change their mindset and start incorporating lifting, what does that um, evolution look like for a lot of women? Um, it, it's sometimes a little challenging. I find there's a lot of fear around strength training, just not knowing. And so that's where we work and we keep it simple. Um, it's amazing how women can do dynamic lifting. And by that, I mean, you can take a weight from off the floor, kick it up over your shoulder and over your head, and you feel powerful. You see incredible results. You have Mm -hmm. energy after doing it and you're not going to break your back. You're not going to get super big muscles. Oh, by the way, your running is going to get stronger and you're going to see like great physique changes. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes time, but you know what? I swear it's just only a few weeks for most of them. They, Mm -hmm. they're like, my husband's commenting about my Mm -hmm. muscles and I'm like, they Mm -hmm. can see the changes in my body and my clothes are fitting great. And oh my gosh, I have energy when I'm training and, you know, we switch up the workouts. They, they might've been running like slow and steady for six days a week. And we'll just add in a little bit of speed work to get that like awesome, like hit effect. It's like, you don't have to Mm -hmm. go to the hit class. You don't have to overdo it, but let's just add in like 30 second intervals. Mm -hmm. And at the end of your run, Oh wait, by the way, you feel like you're in college again, running track. It's just the most amazing empowered feeling and women at any age can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's incredible. That And within a few weeks, they start to notice do some of them, then, uh, they want to branch off and really get into it, you know, with, I don't know, powerlifting or barbell work or any of that. Kind of um, no. So I would just say that they're, they're just more open to things like a clean and press, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, for some of them, um, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anyone turn to powerlifting, but uh, more so just realizing the value of how mm-hmm. great lifting makes them feel, but also to injury prevention, mm-hmm. um, doing some targeted running specific exercises are amazing in just not having like that sciatica type pain. Your hips mm-hmm. aren't always out of alignment. You don't have low back pain. Your, oh, your calf isn't always getting tight. Like all of these things yep. start to shift towards, oh, I don't have the aches and pains. I have more energy like a very beautiful place to be yeah that that is so true um even if you're if you're listening you're even if you're 60 65 years old and never trained before and i've seen it happen you start training all of a sudden the pain start to go away right i have back pain i start deadlifting or or any any hip hinge movements really um same thing knee pain start squatting it's incredible um so what about when we talk about body composition i'm sure a lot of your clients do have uh, a fat loss goal right they're trying to actually go into a, a cut or a fat loss phase at some point, which is going to require caloric restriction. Now you're going to have other stressors on the body. So where does running fit in there if it does at all? And I ask that because a lot of people think or used to think running is the way you burn more calories. And that's how I'm going to accelerate my diet. Let's dispel that myth, please. Yes. So that's the thing. I'll be looking at an individual's you know, running agenda and then looking at the fact like, oh, they do want to also lose weight. So for an individual... I might discourage the marathon and say, okay, Mm -hmm. let's work with the half. The half marathon seems to be a sweet spot where we can still those longer runs that you enjoy. But if you really want a targeted weight loss phase, I discourage it typically in marathon training, because again, Mm -hmm. I don't want you losing bone mass. I don't want you burning out. Um, I don't want you feeling like junk every time you go out to run. And that is the reality of weight loss and marathon training for most. Now, if you're morbidly obese and you're starting a marathon training cycle, it might be a sweet spot, right? You might see weight loss. You're going to be in a caloric have deficit. have some reserves to work from, yeah. Right. So yeah. It, context matters, but um, looking at more of those shorter races, maybe off-cycling from the half marathon and doing the 5K, now that's a place 
where we can lose some fat. You can maintain your running volume. You'll get faster for your next marathon. And maybe it's three or four months where you kind of off cycle, but hey, that's great for injury prevention. And you look great at the end and you're faster, you know? Like <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like an off season on the running to be on season on the fat loss and then cycle through the other way. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, and probably, yeah. Yeah, just setting expectations otherwise that this might be challenging and we're not going to pull calories from around your training. That's the number one mistake I see, I think. It's like, I'm just not going to eat as much after my run. It's hmm. like, no, let's maybe pull from dinner. <laughs> Got it. Which is really that, hard for most because we want to eat at dinner. Yeah, that, for sure. Um, so with the running, do you are, are, your, are you actually um, helping competitive runners prepare for their events then? Is that a big part of what you do? So I wouldn't say that I work with a lot of comp- like super competitive, like sponsored runners. Um, I've like, I've had an ultra runner who won a hundred mile race. Um, she was awesome. Uh, we worked a lot on like mindset type stuff. Um, being that I can work on a lot of different aspects of health and fitness. Um, I'm trying to think of it. I don't, well, I've had a, a, more around mindset, honestly, for more of like the, the competitive side. Otherwise it's, pr- it's pretty recreational, but yes, they have agendas to Boston qualify. They have time goals, they might want to get a 127. They might want to get a, you know, 259. Like there's, you know, these obscure times that we all mm-hmm. as runners absolutely have to achieve. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't know. Cause I've never been competitive, but yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So if you, let's take an everyday person, I guess, who wants to just be competitive with themselves, right. And they want to get faster and they're doing races um, fairly regularly, you know, a couple of times a year what's, what's the the best tip you have for them in terms of, um, I don't know if it's the strength to weight ratio or how, how would they get faster? I think the type of, uh, training runs that you do are essential, but I see it overcomplicated. And from a physiological standpoint, you truly need your aerobic base, which are your easy runs you need. And that includes like your long run too. So that's just going to keep that aerobic system going. Well, recommend two speed type workouts. One might be more like a track based. You might do some 800 repeats, do whatever distance you love. Maybe you love 400s, maybe you love mile repeats. And then having what I call a tempo, which is actually your race pace. Most people don't call tempo race pace, but I love to help the runner achieve that feeling of like, I have been here. I've done that. This is my race pace. I know what it feels like. I know what to expect. My body is so incredibly capable. I practice it every week of my training block. And that is a really great place from a physiological Mm. standpoint and a mental standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. That, that see, it's like the theory of specificity, right? Like if you're going to, if you're going to go to a powerlifting meet, you got to practice the lift. So if you're going to run, you're going to practice at that pace. I mean, it makes sense intuitively, at least to me. Yeah. Um, And then, and then for lifting to support running. So let's say your primary goal is the running and the racing. Um, What does the lifting look like for that type of person? I would definitely recommend at least two days per week. Okay. And I have a very specific like strength and conditioning type exercises that I recommend. One is a single-sided kettlebell clean and press. I think that is one of the absolute best uh, running exercises you can do. And that's because we never do anything when we're running on two feet. It's always single-legged. Yeah. So lateral movements. Is it a power clean and press or full clean and press? So I just kettlebell from the floor. Yeah. The clean okay. press fault. Yeah. Um, that, and just deadlifts, anything working posterior mm-hmm. chain, really strong glutes because we're so quad dominant. 
So I see. And tell the, tell the ladies, what's the best exercise for glutes? <laughs> so honestly, I, I just want to make sure they're activated and firing in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I have them just do like little donkey kicks when they're standing right. as their dynamic warm up throughout the day, just to like know what that feels like to have a powerful kickback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we might do like a, with a, a, for some very simple, just like a bridge with some weight and from mm-hmm. off the floor. Um, so we're doing some hip, hip extension or kettlebell right. swings is a really great one. Sure. Yeah. That's great for, for power in running yeah. extension. So. Yeah. And the, the kickbacks, I guess. Yeah, you're right. I mean, running is a power sport, a speed and power sport. So that's great. All right. Is there, is there anything else you want to share? Um, I don't think so. I just think that, you know, if, if there are any listeners who are in that discouraging or dark place to know mm-hmm. that, you know, you got this and there is always light. It's just having the strategies and the tools to know how to find it. And if you don't, that's where assembling your army of support is going to be your greatest resource, whether that's a coach, whether that's a loved one, whether that's healthcare providers. So get your army in place and small steps, you'll get there. Small steps and Louise can help you get there for sure. (laughs) So Louise, remind us again, where listeners can learn more about you and your work. Absolutely. So I have breakingthroughwellness.com as your one-stop shop. I have my blog there that talks everything about fighting disease, general physical activity, running, wellness. And I offer my Badass Breakthrough Academy for women 35 and over. And I do a variety of coaching from youth athletes all the way through pro. So you can find all of events, resources, courses, and um, that Badass Breakthrough Academy at breakingthroughwellness.com. BreakingThroughWellness.com. I'll, I'll include all those links in the show notes for the listeners. And Louise, thank you again for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before you go, I do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy the podcast, just let me know by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others find the podcast in search results which makes a huge difference. Thanks again for joining me, your host, Philip Pape, in this episode of Wits and Weights. I'll see you next time, and stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.